0: Well, you can keep uh, Philippians chapter 3 open as we come now to study this evening, verses 17 to 21. Verses 17 to 21. And we're thinking this evening about what it means to be citizens of heaven. Citizens of heaven. Well, one of the buzzwords of our culture right now is the word identity. For some, for some of us, perhaps, we are just fed up hearing mention of that word identity. It's at the heart of what is sometimes called the culture wars in the Western world today. And Although a lot of the current discussion around identity tends to be about indulging confusion or perhaps pride, and in some cases, just indulging and uh, recognising sexual immorality... It is true, isn't it, that all of us do have and should have a sense of identity. It's not a bad thing at all to uh, to be sure of your identity. It just depends what that identity is. But we all have labels that we're happy to put upon ourselves. Employee, a worker in some particular field, or maybe retired, teacher, farmer, student, parent, rugby player, football player, hockey player... Uh, whatever it may be. There are things that we will happily uh, describe ourselves as. And in some ways these things form at least part of our identity. Something else that makes up a big part of identity uh, is our nationality. In some ways that's how God has ordained it. He's scattered the human race into tribes and nations and different places. And in the United Kingdom at the moment, all eyes are on the coronation plan for this weekend. And in many ways, the coronation is intended to be an expression of modern British identity. Where you're from, uh, your culture, your people, the history of your homeland. These things tend to matter to a lot of people. And the Apostle Paul knew that the people of Philippi were no different from many people today. The residents of Philippi were fiercely proud of the fact that they were Roman citizens. And as Paul here finishes off another section of his letter, he reminds the Philippian church members that they are not only citizens of Rome, but they are also citizens of a heavenly kingdom. We've seen Paul tap into this uh, this sense of perhaps patriotism uh, on the part of the Philippians before. Uh, back in chapter 1 verse 27 he says only let your manner of life or, or literally the word could be translated there only let your citizenship be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it tells us something about how seriously the Philippians took their Roman citizenship that Paul uses that language for a second time here later in the letter. We saw last time how he was urging them to press on, uh, to keep their eyes fixed on the goal of their Christian lives, to, to know Christ and to become more like Christ and to be made perfect by him one day. And he drives that home even more here by describing their identity as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So what are the characteristics of such citizens? He says in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. What are the characteristics of citizens of heaven? Well, first of all, this evening, citizens of heaven look to their role models. Citizens of heaven look to their role models. Paul says in verse 17, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. One of the themes of this letter has been imitation. And you know what it is to imitate someone, boys and girls. It's that you look at them and you want to do the things they do or you want to become the way they are in certain ways. Maybe you you really uh, admire their musical skills or maybe you really admire their sports skills and you watch exactly how they do it so that you can do it as well. And Paul has been talking about imitation quite a bit in this letter. And he has set forth at least four, probably more examples, but at least four examples for the Philippians of of people they should imitate. Uh, Just to go through some of them briefly, he he gives the example of of himself. He says here in verse 17, join in imitating me. He's just been describing in chapter 3 how he forgets what lies behind him, whether it's good or bad. And he strives forward to what lies ahead. And he wants the Philippians to imitate that. Paul's not saying he's a perfect person. He knows that. He speaks to that in some of his other letters and other places. But what he's saying here is off the back of what he's just written in chapter 3. I'm striving forward. I'm keeping my eyes fixed on Christ. And I want you to do the same thing. He's also of course been boldly preaching the gospel in the city of Rome. Where he's under house arrest. And He's telling the Philippians as well to imitate that. To be bold in their witness. And again it's not pompous. It's not arrogant from Paul. After all Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. If he can't tell people to imitate him. Well there's something seriously wrong. This is someone who knew Christ. Who loved Christ. Who has been sent by Christ. To write the things that he's writing. And to preach the message he's preaching. So of course People should imitate Paul. And we today even can continue to imitate Paul. But he also says in verse 17. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have seen in us. And so he's saying there are other people as well. Whose example you should remember and follow. Who might he have in mind? Well if you remember he's already written about two other Uh, exemplary Christians in this letter Timothy and Epaphroditus he wrote about them uh, back in chapter 2 verses 19 to 30 and he spoke about he spoke warmly and highly about uh, those two men and their faith and their example as well as them at the very beginning of the letter Paul addresses the letter to the, uh, the saints in Philippi along with the overseers and deacons that's the elders and the deacons the spiritual leaders of the church whose example we assume was also worth imitating. But really what Paul's saying here friends is that anyone, any believer who's who's who lives the kind of life that Paul has been describing in this letter, who has this singular focus on Christ and who is faithful to the teaching of scripture and puts it into practice, that's somebody worth imitating. Trying to become more like them. And of course there's someone else Paul has written about in his letter. He's given us the supreme example to follow. The example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you remember we saw right in the heart of the letter. Uh, Paul describing the humiliation. And the incarnation. And then the exaltation of Jesus Christ. His uh, his unique humility. His willingness to come down. Into the lowliness of human existence and to die on the cross and then to be taken up again in glory. Point is, Paul wants the Philippians, whose most important identity is their citizenship of heaven. He wants them to follow the example of other citizens of heaven. So here's friends, Paul saying to us, it's absolutely fine, in fact, it's just good sense. If you want to grow as a Christian, to, to imitate other Christians. Pastor Stephen Curry uh, from Balamina Baptist Church, some of you may know Stephen, uh, preaching in this passage. He said, it's, it's okay to be a copycat as long as you copy the right cat. I thought that was a very good line. You want, you want to copy someone, go ahead, but make sure you copy the right type of person. Other citizens of heaven. Make sure you look like and sound like and act like your fellow citizens of the kingdom. And again, Paul is, is tapping into something here and writing in this particular way to his original readers. Because Rome, of course, was the trend-setting city of the ancient world. Cities like Philippi, which was a colonial city, they were little Rome wannabes, if you like. Um, I'll not offend anyone uh, or insult anyone by giving any modern day examples of cities that might be trying to imitate other cities. But Philippians generally were so proud of being Roman. And they tried to make Philippi as much like Rome as they could. Some of them spoke Latin rather than Greek. Uh, they wore Roman clothing. They even had Roman architecture in Philippi. and The city was laid out in the, even in the same design as the city of Rome. If there was a fashion trend in Rome, it wouldn't take long for it to arrive in Philippi. Anyone visiting Philippi who lived in Rome and uh, had a lot of people who would be paying attention to them. What kind of words are they using? What sort of clothes are they wearing? Uh, what sort of news are they all chatting about? And so the people in Philippi would imitate the, the homeland, so to speak, the, the people of Rome. And it's the same today. You know, times, times change and in some ways nothing at all changes. There are fashion icons and there are sport icons and there are icons from the world of music and film and there's this whole growing, uh, I'm going to forget the phrase now, but on social media you have influencers and people will follow these channels of influencers and if an influencer wears a particular piece of jewellery or a particular piece of clothing, everyone will want to go out and get that. A few years ago, uh, Kylie Jenner became the youngest billionaire in the world at the age of 21. Uh, She created a brand of makeup, Kylie Cosmetics, having only employed seven full-time and five part-time employees. But because millions of women could could see what she looked like and and liked how she looked and followed her on social media, she's worth more than a billion dollars because people want to imitate her. who are you most keen to imitate? Who do you most want to be like? As Christians, hopefully it goes without saying that we want to be like Jesus Christ. And if we're prioritizing his word, read and preached, we will become more like him. That will be the impact by God's grace, by the help of the Holy Spirit. But we can also become more like him by imitating others who are already more like Jesus than we are Mentioned this morning, uh, the the book room at the Banner Conference. People don't read enough books anymore. We really should be reading more books. But what's great about that book room is that it's full of these books written by people that Christians in general and pastors in particular should imitate. John Flavel, the Puritans, George Muller, Charles Spurgeon, many, many others. And if we think people who lived long before our modern age have nothing to teach us about Christ, we only betray our modern-minded arrogance and ignorance. We can learn from the tremendous faith of people who have lived and who have written long ago. Some of the people we should imitate may be the senior members of our churches. As I've tried to challenge you young people before. Some of them might be elders or pastors or Christian friends or parents or older siblings. If we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we should want to look more like other citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We should be copycats of other good citizens. If there's a Christian couple who have a great marriage We want to have a good marriage ourselves. We should spend time with them. We should talk to them. We should ask questions of them. If there's someone who is a good, bold evangelist, and we'd like to be a a better, bolder evangelist, if there's someone who really seems to have a grasp of theology and the doctrines of Scripture, we should spend time with and seek to imitate such good citizens. So, citizens of heaven uh, imitate and look to their role models. Secondly, citizens of heaven are aware of gospel enemies. Citizens of heaven are mindful uh, of gospel enemies. Look what Paul says in verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. We don't know for sure who exactly Paul is referring to here when he talks about enemies of the cross of Christ But there were at least two influential groups at that time who the Philippians needed to be wary of. Uh, The first were the Judaizers and we've thought about them before in Philippians. The Judaizers, Judaizers preach what you might sum up as a cross plus message. Jesus has atoned for our sins on the cross. You need to believe that. But adding on to that as well as that you need to be circumcised and you need to keep observing the rest of the Jewish law. So it was the cross plus the Jewish law. Another group the Philippians had to be wary of were what you might call the anti-Nomians. Strange sounding word, but anti means against, nomos means law. And so these were people who said: if you have believed in Jesus Christ, there's nothing more you need to worry about. No laws at all you need to obey, nothing you need to do. You can just live life as you please as long as you say you believe. In Jesus. (coughs) And so don't worry about sexual purity. Don't worry about keeping the Sabbath. Don't worry about any kinds of laws. You can just do what you like. And so if you like. That was a cross minus message. A message of belief in Christ. Minus obedience to Christ. Whoever Paul had in mind. He says they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, a lot of these people probably didn't mean to be enemies of the cross. A lot of these people had perhaps misunderstood the cross. Many of them, at least in this time and place, they weren't in any way violent or displaying particular hatred for the genuine Philippian believers. Some of them were probably very sincere, very nice people. But they were sincerely wrong. They maybe talk about the cross. They maybe claim some sort of belief about the cross. But they don't tell the truth about it. What should be our attitude to people who offer false teaching about the cross? Well Paul says in verse 18 that he has warned the Philippians about these people with tears. You can take Paul's words there in different ways. He's perhaps saying that out of concern that the Philippians not be led astray by these people. (coughs) that he's been moved to tears. Perhaps he's he's showing his concern here for the the hearts of these people who are muddled in their thinking, who don't understand the cross, who don't know how to teach the truth about the cross. But notice also, friends, Paul is, is full of conviction. It's very strong language. These people are enemies of the cross. And that means whether they mean to be or not, they're enemies of the church. They're not the kind of people that citizens of heaven should be imitating and their teaching is not something that citizens of heaven can put up with or just nod along with. And I would just encourage you if you're tuning in to the coronation this weekend, I don't know who is going to be, if there even is anybody going to be preaching or uh, who they will be or what they will say. But But listen carefully and watch carefully if you're watching at all to what goes on. Because all the indications are that it will be a very pluralistic coronation that we have on Saturday. There might be some mention of the name of Jesus. There might even be some mention of uh, his work on the cross. But what else is being said and what else is being done? Look at verse 19. He says, their end is destruction, their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with set on earthly things. Their God is their belly, Paul says. And what he's saying there is that any appetite they have, any desire they have, they just go for it. Every craving, whether it's for excessive food or alcohol or illicit sex or something else, they just go for it. There's no self-control. They worship themselves. They worship their cravings and desires. They glory in their shame, Paul says. That means they celebrate things and hold parades for things that they should be ashamed of. Does that sound at all like our society today? He says their minds are set on earthly things. All they live for is the next big party, the next big match, the next exciting experience, the next movie release, the next holiday. I don't know about you, but I find it very convicting to read here in God's word that someone who has their mind set on earthly things is an enemy of the cross. That if we're only ever thinking about the here and now and my busyness and my health and my interests, that we could have lost sight altogether of the message and the lifestyle of the cross of Christ. If we're not praying your kingdom come if we've no real interest in the kingdom of God or in the word of Christ or in knowing Christ, how can we be sure we're citizens of heaven at all? Patriotic citizens show it. There's already a union flag flying above the doorstep of one of our neighbours, I assume ahead of the coronation. Some of you are maybe attending or throwing coronation parties next weekend. There will be parades, there'll be food and fun and celebration over this great national event. Do our neighbours know that we're citizens of heaven? Do they see it in us? You know there's this phrase people sometimes use, some Christians use it about other Christians sometimes. He's too heavenly minded to be of any earthly use. Uh, The point being that someone's maybe just always talking about the Bible or always talking about heaven or whatever it might be, whatever cause it might be, whatever it is about their lifestyle that people say they don't ever do anything useful. They just are full of all this uh, this chat perhaps. Maybe that's a fair accusation against some people. But friends, Paul's warning us here not to be so earthly minded that we're of no heavenly use. That we not get so caught up in following our favourite team or pursuing our career, or finding the perfect person with whom to share our lives, that we don't consider service in the kingdom, the kingdom of which we are, after all, citizens. C.S. Lewis, in his classic book, Mere Christianity, he says if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for this present world were those who thought most about the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. That's an interesting quote, written of course, I don't know, 60, 70 years ago. who built the, school, the schools and the hospitals and the orphanages? Who clothed the naked and fed the hungry and took in the poor? who fought to outlaw slavery and end child poverty? It was believers. Because they wanted this world to be more like the world that we really belong to. And so do we have our mindset only on earthly things or also on heavenly things? Are we most concerned with enjoying this world or in making this world more like the world to come? Whether that's in how we approach our work, our family life, our use of money, whatever it may be. Cities like Philippi guarded against losing their Romanness, if you can if I can use make up a word. Officials would come from the capital frequently to cities like Philippi and make sure any newborn babies had their names recorded as citizens of Rome and their names would be recorded back in Rome itself. Enemies of Roman culture were given no opportunity to express themselves. May we guard against diluting our citizenship of heaven. May we bring more of our heavenly values, our heavenly kingdom, to this very needy, earthly world. So citizens look to their role models. Citizens are aware of gospel enemies. And thirdly and finally, citizens look forward to their future. Citizens of heaven look forward to their future. If you look at verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. There was good incentive for Roman citizens living in Philippi to keep their city as Roman as possible. Because every few years, the emperor would come and visit cities like Philippi. Caesar himself would arrive, and he would greet his citizens, and he would inspect the streets, and he would walk up and down, and he would talk to the local rulers and governors, and he would reward cities for holding to their Roman identity. The Roman emperors of course had all kinds of impressive titles, some of which they just made up for themselves. Uh, there were inscriptions in Roman cities perhaps above the gates or on the architecture somewhere. Um, you can, <coughs> I think there's one in, in the city of Ephesus which you can visit which is uh, I think still being excavated. Uh, and there's a An inscription on on one of the the buildings there. It says Caesar is never wrong. Or Caesar is Lord. That was another favourite. One of the titles that Caesar Augustus had chosen for himself. Was Caesar is the saviour of the world. Caesar is the saviour of the world. And so isn't it interesting friends that Paul tells These Philippians who were Roman citizens but who were also heavenly citizens. We await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. See again, he's tapping into their mindset. He knows how these people think. And he's lifting their eyes away from earthly ideas about citizens and saviours to the heavenly Caesar might show up in your city with money for a new building or a new street. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to appear one day with a new world to give to you. And to transform our bodies. Look at verse 21. He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The emperors had power. They didn't have that kind of power. They could do lots of things. They couldn't do that. Paul says one day your saviour is going to appear. And with the same power that he used to be resurrected himself from the dead. That's the power that he's talking about when he talks about subjecting all things to himself. With that same power he's going to transform you and your lowly body. The word lowly there, as it's translated in the ESV, it means frail or weak. Perhaps some of you are all too well aware that your body is frail and weak. Some of our younger members, boys and girls here this evening, probably don't think much about it uh, just yet. But as we get older, we begin to realize that we don't have the power, the strength that we used to have. When I watch football on TV you sometimes hear commentators talk about older players and they say he's not the player he used to be or he's lost a yard of pace. And as someone who has pretty much nothing else to offer but a bit of pace I'm dreading the day when I lose a yard of pace. When we're young we, we don't think about losing our physical strength but we do. We're all getting older and at some point in our lives we begin getting frailer. And the strength slowly begins to ebb away unless Christ returns first. But here's the good news. We have a saviour who will transform our lowly bodies. Bodies that are prone to losing a yard of pace. Minds that are prone to losing details that once came to us in a flash. And bodies prone to losing far worse even than those things. Jesus will transform them. To what? Verse 21. To be like his glorious body. Friends, when we're resurrected, we will be like Jesus. Everything that is true today of Jesus in his humanity will be true of us. Perfect bodies, perfect minds, perfect souls. No longer prone to sin Or to oldness, old age, or frailty, or weakness. Bodies that will be glorious, bodies that will be beautiful, bodies that will be powerful, bodies that will be fit for eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth. And you see, this is our incentive to keep going as citizens of heaven. This is our incentive to follow the example of other heavenly citizens and the example of our Savior Jesus Christ because we know our Savior is coming. And we know what he's going to give to his faithful citizens and subjects. One writer says the believer's earnest expectation is focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is coming. And the climax of history will be when he transforms his people. When we say goodbye to old worn out bodies and are transformed into perfection. The word Paul uses here for citizenship could also be translated commonwealth. There still is a commonwealth. It's probably debatable what sort of a role it plays in the world, the British commonwealth. But a commonwealth is made up of people from all tribes, nations and languages who have at least one thing in common, their king, their ruler. And it's an incentive to be part of that commonwealth that your king might someday come and visit you and speak to you. Well, our King is coming and he will speak to us and he will bless us. It's very different. It's a very different future from the future that Paul says is waiting for the enemies of the cross. Verse 19, their end is destruction. That's the destiny of all those people around us who don't yet have heavenly citizenship. That's the destiny of every pursuit and every cause and every person in this world, if they're not part of the heavenly commonwealth, if it's not a cause that's brought under the authority of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, it is kindling for the fires of hell. We set our minds on earthly things at our peril. Nationalities, hobbies, entertainment, work, stuff in our house, stuff in our garage, stuff in our wardrobe, it's not sinful to have these things, but we need to look at them every day and remember they will not last. And so many people, that is all they're living for, temporary fleeting things. But we await a savior who will transform not only this worn out world, but even our worn out bodies so they become like his glorious body. And so, friends, like proud citizens, eagerly anticipating the King's arrival, may we not get too attached to earthly things, and may we look forward with anticipation to the coming of our Saviour. May the world see in us an eagerness and expectation for the return of our King. May they see in us what it means to be citizens of heaven, and a life lived in obedience and love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.